Hello there, it is Adam Leventhal here for another special edition of the Ornstein and Chapman podcast, continuing our build-up to the Athletic Player of the Year Awards Night, which is taking place this Sunday, April the 26th. Now, on today's episode, we're going to be running you through some of the main contenders for our Team of the Year after all of our writers and podcasters were asked to vote on a whole range of categories. Uh, On the last couple of podcasts, as you'll well know, uh, we've revealed the men's and women's Young Player of the Year shortlists. On the last edition, uh, we went through the underrated Player of the Year shortlist. And then tomorrow, Mark Chapman will be here to announce the shortlist for the main awards, the men's and women's Player of the Year. Uh, And then on Sunday, we have that special event planned for you from 7 o'clock via the Athletic app. We're going to be announcing all of the winners and the full team of the year, and then providing you with further analysis and comment from our team of experts. Uh, There'll be some extra coverage, audio and video as well, across our platforms, so look out for that. And to make sure that uh, you find out all of the important details, subscribe and download the Athletic app by going to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman, and then you can take advantage of our 90-day free trial. Okay, let's... um, get stuck in now to today's exciting challenge uh, and to go through our team of the year contenders. Here to analyse it are our panel. Uh, Football analytics writer for The Athletic is Tom Warville, uh, our Liverpool writer James Pearce and James Moore, who is from the View from the Lane podcast and an athletic editor as well. Gentlemen, it is great to have you with us, but I just wanted to point out that I am going to have to be like a school teacher today and I will be calling James Pearce Pearce and James Moore (laughs) More, if that is all right with you. Is that okay? Yeah. Is all that homeschooling gone to your head? <laughs> yeah. If only. Well, this is actually a godsend doing this podcast because I've I've ducked out of the classroom, which is uh, which is fantastic. I'm actually quite glad to be here. Okay. Right. Before we um, start to run through some of the names, if you are listening at home and you have any strong opinions, and I'm sure you do, use the hashtag. T-A-U-K Awards, the Athletic UK Awards, that's what it stands for. Uh, And then you can send your recommendations for our team of the year on social media. And it'll be interesting to uh, compare and contrast your teams with the one that is announced on Sunday. So we are going to eventually uh, be naming a 4-3-3 formation. So we have to sort of uh, be working towards that gentlemen uh, and uh, let's go through it positionally and we'll obviously start in goal and the, the big main contender and the one that everyone would expect to win it James is in goal at Anfield yeah I, I think it would have to be Alison Becker getting the nod I think not only has he been the best goalkeeper in the Premier League season I think he's the best goalkeeper in in world football you know with the way that he he commands his his penalty box just the the confidence that he gives to all players around him um you know he's he's a man of huge stature that has given liverpool an extra dimension uh, during his two seasons at the club i think the only the only possible argument for him not to get the nod in the premier league team of the year would be the fact that i think he missed nine games but um judged purely on performances and talent you know he's for me he's in a class of his own uh, Tom, I, I do realise there, incidentally, that I, I broke my own rule right at the beginning just by <laughs> shouting out James and expecting James to know who that was. Um, over to uh, to Tom Warville. 
in terms of a sort of a statistical analysis of why it should be Alisson, is James Pierce bang on there? It should be him? Yeah, I think that goalkeepers are maybe the one position which you could uh, debate that it doesn't have to go to a player on a, on a top, top team. And although I think, you know, Alisson probably does deserve it because of his, you know, performances in, in what is a smaller number of games. He's played, you know, 19 games this season for Liverpool. To me, I think that you could make a, a case for one of the keepers on a team a bit further down the table who've actually had more work to do. Um, Alisson sits behind, you know, the the best defence in the Premier League this season. Um, and although he's an integral part of that, there are other goalkeepers in maybe Martin Dubravka or um, Vicente Gaeta, who, um, from a shot-stopping point of view, have actually probably outperformed Alisson himself. You, you, you bypassed Ben Foster there of Watford. Uh, is there any reason why Ben Foster should not be uh, considered for this? He's what made more saves than anyone else in Premier League history, if, if memory serves. Uh, that's, I mean, that's probably fair, but we're, we're picking the team of 2019-20 here. So it's a bit unfair to count <laughs> yeah. saves from, from decades past. Um, I think <laughs> with Dubravka and Gaeta, they've, they've both performed really well in terms of keeping out um, more goals than, than you'd expect them to do based on the quality of shots they're facing. So um, while Alisson has, has kind of prevented around five goals um, fewer, so he's actually conceded 11 and we'd expect him to concede uh, 15.6, roughly 16 on average. Um, Martin Dubravka's conceded 41 goals and we'd expect him to concede 49. So overall, he's had more work to do and proportionally he's kept out kind of more goals than Alisson has for Liverpool. So, um, you know, goalkeeping isn't just shot stopping and, and I think that from a more well-rounded point of view, Alisson, you know, his distribution has helped create a few goals to Liverpool this season as well. So probably overall, he's the best pick, but there's definitely an argument to suggest that there are a couple of other guys who could be close in the run in here. I'd be quite interested to hear Tom where um, where Dean Henderson kind of comes into the into the rankings there on some of those metrics because for me he's probably into in performance terms he's been the only goalkeeper that could really get anywhere near Allison in the Premier League this season. Absolutely. So so from that same point of view in terms of the number of goals he's prevented uh, versus what you'd expect he's he's roughly around six point five. Um, so he's conceded twenty two. He's expected to concede twenty eight and a half on average, and he's yeah that's you know a delta of, of six and a half. So that's best for fourth in the Premier League, and actually third is Hugo Lloris. Um, and he's only played uh, 11 games this season, but his performances have been absolutely fantastic. It's just such a small sample that he, you know, we can't really include his name in there. It's going to be very interesting to see who finally gets that that vote in goal. I, I would have thought James Pierce. The the expectation will be uh, that it is Allison, and then if we move on to uh, the defenders, I would have thought you know you basically look who has the best defence in the league, and that is Liverpool. So there seems no reason why it should not simply be the back four of Liverpool. Yeah, I, I don't really see a, anyone dislodging Liverpool's first choice back four. Certainly Trent Alexander-Arnold, by far and away, the um, you know has to be the, the pick at right back. I think probably a bit more of a debate maybe on the, on the left-hand side. Um, but for me, Andy Robertson has, has excelled compared to his rivals in that position. And then Virgil van Dijk has just carried on where he left last season, almost gets taken for granted at times, just how ridiculously consistent and imperious he is. And I guess the only question would be, again, similar to, to Alisson in terms of Joe Gomez, missed a fair bit of football. You know, didn't didn't it was only really from the start of December onwards that he, he made that centre-back spot his own alongside Van Dijk. So um, 
Um, I think that would be the only question that, we, that could potentially keep Gomez out because certainly since the start of December, he's uh, he's been absolutely outstanding. Uh, I mean, Tom, in terms of the, the, the full-backs, do you think statistically there is anything that can keep Trent Alexander-Arnold or um, Andy Robertson out of that side, especially with the amount of you know assists that they're supplying? I think Trent Alexander's only second to Kevin De Bruyne in terms of Premier League assists. So it would be a no-brainer that those two definitely go in. Yeah, I, I don't really think that there's any other defenders from an attacking point of view that you can really um, put in here and make make a strong enough case for. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold's numbers this year are, are, you know, quite frankly, incredible for someone who plays as a fullback. Um, if we're looking at his goal-creating actions, um, which is a statistic on the website Football Reference, and that kind of takes into account kind of the assist um, uh, and the uh, the action before the assist as well so Trent will get will get credit for you know the pre-assist here uh, it also counts times when a player has perhaps forced an own goal um, which usually doesn't show up in the assist counts that we see kind of banded around in most places Trent's had 22 of these goal creating actions this year so that contains 12 of his assists but also 10 kind of other actions that have taken place that have helped create goals. Um, for a bit of context, the only two players above him are Kevin De Bruyne with 27 and Riyad Mahrez with 23. So it just shows, you know, he, he's phenomenal output in terms of attacking. Um, he's only really matched by two of the more premier attackers uh, in the league and are more than any other player on Liverpool from this, uh, this metric. James um, Pierce obviously mentioned there that perhaps Joe Gomez is is the the weakest link of of a very very strong uh, Liverpool back four. I mean, do we think that obviously Virgil Van Dijk has to go into that side? But would there be any sort of opportunity for for another central defender to to maybe make it? I mean, James Moore, is there any suggestions from from you that would would make it in? I mean, you'd maybe consider the the, the two at Leicester, uh, Soyuncu and Johnny Evans, have both performed really, really well this season. Um, as James alluded to, there probably aren't many centre-backs who, who could improve that Liverpool defence. But I mean, those two guys, I mean, I think they really have performed so well this year. And that's made such a huge difference to Leicester. I mean, other than that, I, I mean, Harry Maguire ended up having quite a good good season after a, a bit of a rocky start. Uh, Jack O'Connell at, at Sheffield United. I know he's a bit of an analytics favourite, so Tom might have something to say about that. But I mean, I think he's been really, really good too. I only worry having Jack O'Connell in the side would be his surging runs from the back would leave this team very, very exposed with, with Trent and <laughs> Robbo on the wings. Um, but I, I'd probably vouch again for, for you know one of Sancho or Evans. I just think that... Evans for what was it three million pounds for Leicester and Soyuncu is really aptly filled um, Maguire shoes and I'm just a really big fan of all the kind of Lord Farquhar references that are banded around Twitter whenever he plays well. <laughs> Tom you mentioned you know Harry Maguire there and the fact that Soyuncu has has more than adequately filled his boots do you think Harry Maguire will feel aggrieved uh, if he doesn't make it in there or do you think that this has been a, a season of, of transition for him in, in terms of his statistics Tom do, does he bear well against you know the likes of Van Dyke and Soyuncu and and the others and it's something I've got on that piece coming up soon just around like you know measuring defenders statistically right now really we can only really tell you that this the style of them and how they play are they kind of a front foot defender a back foot defender do they are they comfortable on the wall are they not um and I think from from Aguirre's point of view maybe this season he um 
you know, he's not really had the chance or maybe we've, we're not focused on it so much of him kind of like bringing the ball out of defence into midfield and, and driving forward like he did so much at Leicester and, and something that I think really brought into people's minds that, um, you know, he's he's a big guy, but he can equally can move really, really well on the ball. I think it's probably a, a perception thing more than anything. I mean, he's played every single minute for Manchester United and maybe if they were, weren't having such a, a topsy-turvy season, we wouldn't um, kind of be thinking that, you know, he's playing on a, a less fun side than kind of Sancho and, and Evans at Leicester and, and Van Dijk at Liverpool. Are there any wild cards that either Moore or Pierce have to throw in? I'm, I'm sure Pierce doesn't. He only sees red. But are there any others? <laughs> no, I mean, like I say, Jack O'Connor would be the only other one that that, that I think would, would be an outside bet. But I, I, I don't really think it's been a, a vintage season for Premier League centre-backs, to be brutally honest. Well, let's move on to our midfielders. And as we mentioned at the beginning, uh, we're going to be going for a 4-3-3 formation. So uh, hypothetically, let's let's work our way through it. And uh, on the left-hand side, we'll, we'll start first of all. And obviously, he's, he's not had a, a great season in terms of his team's performance. But Jack Grealish, who seems destined not to be at Aston Villa whenever next season starts, will obviously be getting a lot of support because he's sort of exceeded expectations and he's dragged Aston Villa from almost looking certain to going down to battling to really stay up now. Yeah, I said this on on the Onsen and Chapman podcast the other day that just Grealish is such a, he's so important to how Villa attack and kind of everything that they do positively when they go forward kind of runs through him. Um, six goals and, and seven assists this year is the best that he's had in a, a season to date. Um, he's taken to the Premier League really, really well compared to, to last time around that he played in the league, although that was only a very, very sparing number of minutes. So, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, he's recently turned 24. He's, he's starting to really, you know, hit the peak of his career and his, his numbers look good in terms of creating goals and assists. I think that, yeah, for, for that reason, that he's, he's a definitely a good shout. Um, for Grealish going forwards, though, I'm really intrigued to see if he does get a move, kind of does he fit into a system where he's given tactical instruction and he needs to hold a more uh, rigid role in a team or does he just thrive off being able to you know, play with complete freedom and, and kind of roam around where he needs to? James Moore, we haven't. I mean, obviously, we mentioned the fact that you know you have you are inextricably linked with with Tottenham. You, you, you know, you, they are your your team. We haven't really had many shouts of many Tottenham players yet. Is there anyone <laughs> no. in, in the in the Tottenham side that that deserves a shout in midfield? I mean, possibly not in midfield. I mean, I mean, the only Tottenham player I'd say that would be anywhere near contention for this side would would probably be uh, would probably be Son whose uh, goal return was was reasonably good in a season that was plagued by inconsistency really across the squad but uh no having having featured heavily in these uh in, in the kind of PFA team of the year over the last four or five years I would have very low expectations on any Tottenham players being involved this time around <laughs> and and James um Pierce obviously you know the 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 defensive line um the expectation is that it's going to be dominated by Liverpool players is there anyone that you would see as a, as a shoe-in in the team of the year in midfield from Liverpool uh Jordan Henderson yeah I think he, he would be my pick for PFA player of the year to be honest so he would he I think you have to find room for him he's been you know absolutely immense the best season of his career I think he's absolutely gone to the next level on the back of 
lifting that Champions League trophy in in Madrid last June. Um, I think we only had to look at the way Liverpool's performance levels dropped, probably from mid February to mid March before the suspension, when when he wasn't fit, to just see how much Liverpool Liverpool missed him because he he just sets the tone and the tempo um, with everything he does. So yeah, I, I think I think Henderson has to be in that midfield. You know, Kevin De Bruyne for me as well. And then I think the other one's more tricky. I think I can understand the claims of, of uh, Jack Grealish. I think I'd also throw into the mix Jorginho Wijnaldum as well for someone who I think um, goes under the radar, probably outside of, of, of Liverpool in terms of just how important he is and he's a very selfless team player. You know, I don't think he's someone probably whose stats are particularly you know, earth-shattering, but um, he's had an outstanding season too. Wilfred Ndidi would probably be the other player I'd say would be in contention in the central midfield. I think you only really have to, I mean, similar to Henderson, you only have to look at how Leicester completely went off the boil when he was out of the side. I think he missed seven Premier League games, I think it was kind of early in the year, and Leicester won one of them. The second he came back, they they won two on the bounce for the first time this year. So his value to Leicester is clearly absolutely huge uh, in the same way that Henderson is to Liverpool. I think it's quite interesting with Henderson because... I, we kind of got to the stage maybe two or three years ago where, where everyone had stopped taking the mick out of him and everyone was like acknowledging that he was a top player. But I don't think it was really until this season that we realised just how integral he was to Liverpool as a team. Tom, can you can you illustrate, I mean, is there, is there statistics that illustrate how, just how integral he is to, to how Liverpool operate? What I think with Hendo is that, like, I, I don't really like a lot of the um, a lot of the like passing metrics that are kind of publicly available because you know pass completion rate is, is skewed a lot by a players' ability to kind of we don't really know a lot of context around the players around them, are they under pressure, things like that. But one thing that I really like that you know Hendo can do a fair amount is you know switches of play, um, and he's attempted the the fourth highest number of switches of play for Liverpool this year, which are um, passes which go at least forty yards um, wide across the field. Um, the first of that is is Trent, then Van Dijk, then Robertson. So I think that you know he's the one midfielder who has that kind of pass in his locker that, that he can use. And I think we've seen that a few times. And I think it, it really unlocks how Liverpool can, can look to move down one side and then spread the ball to the other side from the back with, with Van Dijk, but also kind of, you know, in midfield um, with Hendo. And I think that this season we've we've really seen he does have um, excellent technical ability. The one assist that comes to mind for me um, is the cross against Manchester City, where he kind of got to the byline and, and drills it back. And it's just, I mean, it's so cliche, but an absolute peach of a cross. And James Pierce obviously mentioned uh, about Kevin De Bruyne. We haven't fully analysed his contribution to Manchester City. I mean, it hasn't, you know, hit the heights of last season when they were really going, you know, toe to toe with Liverpool. Um, but still, he's been exceptional in terms of how many uh, assists that he's produced. He's also been chipping in uh, with plenty of goals as well. I mean, Tom, he he surely has to be a, a, another shoe in, maybe alongside Jordan Henderson. Yeah, I think for for me, he's probably the first name that you you put on the list. Um, just because, yeah, he he's provided goals this year, he's provided assists, and those kind of goal creating actions I mentioned earlier, he's provided more than than any other player. So I think that to have someone who's who's able to you know create and score, and also he's he's amazing at just progressing the ball as well, which maybe doesn't show up in the you know the assists and the the goal scoring. Uh, you know metrics however which way you look to cut it but um, from some stuff that we looked at at Opta in terms of you know what's the value a player adds by getting the ball just you know upfield to the attackers De Bruyne was by far and away the, the best passer in the Premier League from that angle so yeah I think that for those reasons he just has to be in this team. 
And just in terms of, you know, trying to nail down exactly what this team is going to look like, obviously, you know, dealing with a, a goalkeeper and a back four is is pretty straightforward. You, you know exactly what you want. But if we are naming a midfield three, it's getting the right combination right. So if, if, we, if we're saying that, you know, maybe Kevin De Bruyne is definitely going to be in there, Jordan Henderson, due to his performances, is definitely going to be in there. Uh, do we need to balance it out? Do we need to have someone that's maybe a little bit uh, less uh, attack-minded? Do we need someone who's going to maybe sit a little bit more? Are there any options? I mean, maybe it's a bit of a weak one, but um, I think Kovacic has had his, his best year for Chelsea this season and it's not like he's put up amazing numbers in terms of goals and assists. And I think that he has an ability to to sit in um, and and defend. He he's putting up you know higher tackle inception numbers than Golo Kante this year, um, which says something about you know Kante's ability to uh, fit into Frank Lampard's system, but also how Kovacic has just kind of adapted this season. So you know it might be a bit of a, a left field shout, but I've been pretty impressed with Kovacic and, and excited to see more of him next season. I think we'll all agree that's pretty left field. Uh, do we do we agree with that, <laughs> James? Yeah, I mean hey, it's James? certainly been his it's be- certainly been his best season for Chelsea. I mean, he's, he's been much improved, having sort of got, got lost in all of it last season with all, all the madness under Sarri. So I can certainly see the value to that, but I would I would reassert my uh, my shout for Wilfred Ndidi for the midfield, I'd say. I'd, I'd probably have Ndidi and, and Wijnaldum ahead of Kovacic. OK, well, we will see if, if uh, either of those players make it into a, a midfield three when the side is announced on Sunday evening. Just a reminder, there is a whole host of informative and engaging pieces for you to enjoy via The Athletic. Uh, We have a team of, what, 400 of the best sports writers around the world and in particular covering every in-depth angle of your team in the Premier League. Uh, If you're yet to subscribe, remember uh, you can uh, enjoy this week's Player of the Year awards coverage and a lot, lot more. Sign up now for a 90-day free trial via theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman. So we've got to the attackers now. Do you think, Tom, it's simply the case that in this sort of scenario, you just go for the top three scorers in the Premier League and that is the the fairest way of of judging this? I don't think it's... It's quite that simple just because, um, you know, some of the guys have, have played uh, fewer minutes than others. So, I mean, Jamie Vardy's played a ton of so Aubameyang, who sit first and second in the uh, the leaderboards. But then you've got Sadio Mane, who's played slightly fewer minutes, but he's also got, you know, seven assists this season alongside his, his 14 goals. So I think that his contributions, you know, when he has played have been more than, than those two. So for me, I think Mane is probably the most exciting player in the Premier League in terms of he can create, he can score, he has you know, a magical first touch. He's just such a, a joy to watch from a neutral point of view that I think that, you know, statistically and just from a pure football fan point of view, he should be in there on on those kind of merits. James Pearce, obviously you you agree with Sadio Mane's inclusion. I mean, how, how has he sort of evolved even more from last season, this campaign? Yeah, he's certainly gone to another level. I think Jurgen Klopp touched upon it in the early early stages of the season that he said kind of that the penny had dropped with Sadio Mane in terms of in his head in terms of just how good he could be and he's definitely taken that that leap well and truly into the, the world class bracket. Of course, he was crowned African Footballer of the Year and yeah, he you know I, I think again he's probably a, a really really strong contender for the the, the overall Player of the Year um, accolade. So he has to he has to be on the left of that of that front three 
Um, and, and I think Mo Salah has to be on the right of it. I think where where you would probably go away from Liverpool would, would be for the central striking role, just because you know although he has still done a very selfless job at times for the team, I, I don't think Roberto Firmino has been anywhere near as influential as he was last season. And I think when you look at the weight of goals that Vardy, Aguero, and Aubameyang have contributed, I think I think it would have to be between those three for me for the uh, the central central striking spot. I think it's funny with with Firmino where um, you know maybe he's not put up the the same goal and assist numbers as previous seasons, and um, you know we we can't really give this award to someone based on expected goals. <laughs> that would be uh, a bit weird. But um, in terms of these goal creating actions again, which go a bit beyond the assists, Firmino's second for Liverpool in terms of helping create uh, create goal scoring opportunities ahead of you know Robertson, Salah, and and Mane. So I think that. Maybe there's a shout to suggest that he's doing a few things that don't show up in the traditional stats, but he is, you know, he he is contributing something on the field of play. Um, you know, that maybe we see when we watch him, but then when we come back to think of his performances, they don't really stick in our memory. So I think that he's probably been one of the more underrated players this season in terms of maybe he's not dropped off as much as we think he has. Well, what's quite interesting is if we're trying to put together kind of a, a functional team, a functioning team, and Tom actually wrote this a couple of weeks ago, that Abemiang has has operated, I think, at a far higher level when he's played out wide rather than when he's played through the middle. So actually, it might be that you want Mane and Salah in a team, and you don't want Abemiang. And then you're looking down the list of of other strikers who have performed well this season. And then the name is the name is leaping out at me. Well, two names that are leaping out at me. One, Raúl Jiménez at Wolves, ten goals and six assists, and to me, he looks like like a, a top all round striker. And it really depresses me that he's 28 because I want him to be kind of 23 and a hundred million pound player. I just, I just, I just want him to go on for, for far longer than he probably will. It makes me quite sad. And number two is Danny Ings. He's got 15 goals in a team, uh, in a Southampton team that uh, for a large part of the season really weren't playing that well. You wouldn't have them down as a particularly creative team. I think he's outperformed his XG. He's got 15 goals from open play. Could he be an outsider for it? Yeah, I think I was chatting to to Carl Anker, the Southampton writer, about this the other day and saying that, you know, Ings has scored 43% of Southampton's goals this year, which I put money on being a, you know, a top five or top 10 figure in the whole of Europe. And I think it just shows he's put the whole team on his back to some extent to actually drag them out of a relegation dogfight and and put them mid-table. So I definitely feel Ings is, is worthy of a shout for sure. Well, just to point you in the direction of uh, the podcast that we recorded uh, yesterday, and both Raul Jimenez and Danny Ings are one of the contenders for the underrated player of the year. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if they get any joy uh, winning that one. But maybe it is a, a step too far for them to sort of usurp, especially, you know, if, if we're saying that Mane and, and Salah are going to be getting into this side. Either one of them would have to usurp Jamie Vardy. Surely Vardy deserves to, to be in that side because he is the top scorer. Tom, do you see weight of goals? I know it's a very boring statistic because you like to dig a bit <laughs> deeper, but but weight of goals does count in this sort of scenario, doesn't it? I, I do agree, um, but then somewhat disagree because Vardy scored four goals from penalties this year, which um, feel like a bit of a, a gimme. I mean, Marcus Rashford doesn't think that considering he's taken seven and only scored five. But um, yeah, I think that, you know, there's still skill in, in being able to step up and, and convert a penalty. And, you know, they aren't absolute freebies. But um, 
yeah, if James, if James hadn't reminded me of the Aubameyang piece, I might have been tempted to say uh, <laughs> Aubameyang um, purely because he's, he's better from the left wing. But Vardy's 19 goals, four assists is, is a great total. And are we saying that due to the fact that Manchester City have struggled to keep pace with Liverpool and they haven't been the side of, of last season, that Sergio Aguero doesn't get anywhere near this side, uh, James Moore or, or Tom or or I would have thought licking his lips, James Pierce can talk about Sergio Aguero. I think I think for your striker in a team like this, I think you want you want someone who's really made like a massive difference to their team and has been, you know, done something heroic and has you know dr- dragged the team away from relegation like like Ings has done comfortably with Southampton, or you know taking his team into Europe like like Jimenez will do or or into the Champions League like Vardy will do. I think you just want your your centre forward in a team like this to have like achieved something, and you know. Aguero at Manchester City finishing second in the league as we assume they will it's not really it's not really quite as appealing is it uh, either James do you feel there's a shout for um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin because I think again he's one who's performed particularly well since Angelotti's come in but he's not really c- performed consistently across the whole season yeah I mean it's interesting because if you strip away penalties he's only he's only three off the top isn't he in terms of Premier League goals I think he's on 13 yep. and the top without penalties would be Aubameyang on 16 so He's not really that far behind, and as you say, he had a, a bit of an inconsistent start. And since Ancelotti's come in, he's looked he's looked superb. I wanted to ask James Pierce because I think we've pretty much run through all of the the departments there. If you had to guess how many Liverpool players are going to be in the team of the year when it's announced on Sunday, what would you go for? <laughs> um, and you can't I say think- eleven. No, no, I, I, I think it will be eight, probably eight. I think eight, eight or nine would be my guess. I think um, <laughs> really I think, that many. Yeah, well, I, I, in in terms of, I think if it's judged objectively, I think I think yeah, probably eight. I think I think you wouldn't. I don't think Liverpool would have the, the central striker in a in a four three three. I don't I don't think you'd certainly have one. You know, De Bruyne has to be in there. That's just common sense. I suppose, and then the only other question is whether whether you find room for two Liverpool midfielders or just the one in Jordan Henderson. Because I think, despite the fact that Gomez didn't play much in the first few months, I, I think just the sheer quality of his performances since early December should probably swing swing it swing it his way. And and in the same with Allison, despite the fact he had that calf injury, yeah, the, you know he's still been the, 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 the consistently the best goalkeeper in the Premier League. So yeah, I uh, I'll go with eight. And, and and Tom and and James Moore. I mean, should we be looking at that? I mean, should it be that? I mean, I think James Pierce is basically saying there that it it should be Allison, Trent Alexander Arnold, Van Dyke, Gomez, Robertson. Yes, maybe Vinaldum and Henderson definitely in there. Mane and Salah definitely in there. You know, they've had, they have been the runaway winners of the of the Premier League. I know we haven't finished the season yet, but they they obviously are going to be if we start again, and they should be potentially even if we don't get to resume this season, they should be given some sort of uh, formal recognition. Um, should we basically just be naming the Liverpool side as much as possible in this team of the year? I mean, I think they they clearly need to be very well represented. I suspect James might not get his Wijnaldum wish, and, and I think it maybe will end up with say seven in the team rather than eight or nine. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, their defensive record is incredible. They score a lot of goals, and incredible creativity in every position on the pitch, including at right back. So it stands to reason that they're they're going to absolutely dominate the team. But yeah, I'm not I'm not sure it'll be quite as many as that. 
I'd agree with James here that I think the only other thing that's going to keep them out from having the full back five is is just not enough minutes for for Gomez um, and people kind of taking that into account. With one Alderman Henderson, they kind of you could argue the you know similarish kind of players and and very functional midfielders versus someone like De Bruyne or, or Grealish who you know are a lot more um, attacking. Those players, uh, Gomez and Wijnaldum, probably suffer from being overshadowed by some of the other players in the team as well, I'd say. In terms of who would have to try and deal with this team, I wanted to just uh, finally maybe ask you who you think would be the best person. And they can be a manager from anywhere in the in the Premier League. Who do you think would be able to get the best out of a, of a hodgepodge team from the Premier League? And, and you can go random if you want, with this. Who do you think would be the best head coach or manager? I'd love to see what um, Chris Wilder and Alan Neil would do with this team. Um, just because, you know, their tactical setup that they've they've brought up uh, and the recent Zonal Marking podcast, which did dug into this, was, was, you know, amazing. The kind of insight it had into how Neil is kind of the more tactical and technical of the two and, and Wilder's more of my manager. I'd, I'd just love to see what kind of tactical innovations the two of them came up with to, to suit a team like this. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Jose Mourinho managing this team purely because it would mean he wouldn't be managing Tottenham for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think the obvious answer is probably Jurgen Klopp purely because it is basically his team anyway. So he may as well just carry, yeah. carry on with that. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd, if you're going for a left field choice, I'd, I'd, I'd go for um, the, the Norwich boss because I think he's had, a, he's had a tough time of it this season. And um, I'd, I'd like to see him given, <laughs> given, the, given that array of quality. And, and to be fair to him, like even... You know, he's stuck to his principles, hasn't he? Even when Norwich have struggled, and um, you know, he, he does like to his team to play on the front foot and, and be positive, and uh, he wouldn't have any troubles with this lineup. Uh, okay, well, I'm just going to put in my uh, recommendation. It has to be Nigel Pearson because uh, he knows exactly uh, what any team needs to uh, really raise their levels, and I'm sure he would have uh, quite a lot of fun uh, with that. So, uh, my recommendation is Nigel Pearson. Yes. Okay, gents, obviously it's not going to be about who is managing it. It is about who is going to be out there on the pitch and you will be able to find out who is our team of the year on Sunday in our special awards ceremony from seven o'clock. You'll be able to get all the details via the Athletic app. Uh, And uh, if you're not part of it already... Do subscribe via going to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman to take advantage of our 90-day free trial. Uh, just a reminder as well, Mark Chapman is going to be back tomorrow on Friday's edition and he's going to be announcing the shortlists for the Men's and Women's Player of the Year awards. And I'm sure many of the players that we've been discussing, especially from Liverpool, are going to be in the mix for the uh, the main men's award Uh, My thanks to James Moore, to James Pearce and Tom Warville for uh, being our prospective selection panel today. Thanks very much, gents. Thank you. Cheers, Adam. And don't forget, uh, if you're going to interact on social media with us and uh, tell us where we have gone right, uh, perhaps where we've gone wrong with our uh, selections, use the hashtag TAUKAwards. Mark Chapman will be back on the next edition and I will see you in my tuxedo on Sunday.